Corinthians. Please open your Bible. While you are opening your Bible, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we want our eyes to be focused on you. In the middle of everything going on in our world and even in our own district, we want to keep our eyes focused on you. Lord God, would you please meet with us? Would you open the eyes of our hearts so that we can understand what's written here on the page in front of us? Can we understand what you inspired Paul to write about you? Could you help us to see why he wrote it to those people and why you have kept it for us as well? Lord God, would you meet with us? Would you reveal yourself to us? And would we not leave this place changed, having met with you? Lord God, this is your time. Right now, this is your space, and we want to give you our undivided attention. Lord Jesus, would you please reveal yourself to us? We ask this in your precious name. Amen. When last we looked at 1 Corinthians, we were talking, we were looking at leadership, and that Paul begins his letter to the Corinthian church after his introduction by opening this big can of worms about leadership. And this topic of his is actually going to stretch over a number of chapters, at least the first three or four chapters. But in inside that overarching sort of topic, which he's talking about for the first couple of chapters, he goes off on these many little tangents. And so we're going to chase the first one of these today, but we're going to start rereading back from verse four, and then we're going to get into verse 18 through to the end of chapter one this morning. Um, So read along with me, or you can read with me on the screen if you want to. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. And remember, grace is the same word for gift or charism. Because of his charism, his grace, his gift given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched, made wealthy in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus, by speech and knowledge, confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. It's the same word as uh, verse 4, any charism, as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's introduction. And then he opens this topic. My brothers and sisters... Some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Peter or Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you, no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Read on. This is our passage for today. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom 
of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Quoting there from Isaiah. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. That's where that quote comes from, for those of us that quote that from time to time. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Man, it's good, heavy stuff. I like it. You remember last time when we were talking about this topic of leadership, we talked about Sherpas and mountains and some of that sort of stuff. Well, Paul is getting into the thick of a a different facet here. And I've highlighted some words up here. I know some of you highlight your Bible or underline or scribble in it. It's good to do. Um, If you have a really, really precious Bible, get a cheap, nasty one that you can draw in. Bob Mumford used to say that, and he got in trouble for saying that too. Verse 18, verse 19, verse 20, verse 21. Have a look at the words that keep reoccurring here. Paul is making a point about wisdom and foolishness between verse 18 and down in verse 31. Those are the words that I've highlighted up here, wisdom and foolishness. And Paul is making a really simple point. He's saying, if you are looking for something to make worldly sense, if you are looking for something that's going to be eloquent, that's going to express wisdom and and profound understanding in human terms, then God is not interested in fitting your definition. God is not interested in impressing you if worldly wisdom is what you are after. That's the point that Paul is making. And he says it here, it's foolish. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. In other words, those who are not attached to Christ. And we need to let that thought sink in. We are communicating the good news about God to a world that considers the very core of our belief as foolishness. We need to accept that. We, if we, if we preach Jesus properly, we are going to look foolish. If we try and save our, our public image, if we try and, and, you know, manage our PR well, then maybe we're shying away from presenting Christ in all of his worldly foolishness. The cross in worldly terms, is a really stupid military strategy. 
Humanity is corrupted and it's under the, the hold of Satan. People are naturally selfish and sinful. And how is God going to deal with it? First of all, the, the immortal, limitless, infinite person, the divine creator who is not subject to time or physics is going to enter into a human body. In one way, he is going to allow himself to be contained and trapped and vulnerable. Well, that looks a little bit foolish. Step number two, when he comes into the world, he's not going to be powerful or influential. Jesus' parents weren't even married at the time. Then they were refugees fleeing for their life into Egypt. They were from a persecuted race. They were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They were a displaced people. And he wasn't wealthy. He wasn't royalty. Step two. Step three, he's going to let his own people reject him and misunderstand him. And then he's going to let them use one of these. That is God's military strategy for taking back the human race. Of course, it's foolishness. In worldly terms, it could not be anything other than foolishness. But Paul says it is the power of God for those of us who are being saved. We need to get this kind of ingrained in us is to go, you know what, if if we are going to live wholeheartedly in the dynamic, rescuing, saving power of God, we are going to be at odds with our world. And we need to be okay with that. We actually need to accept we are going to be in conflict with our world and they're going to think that we are stupid. That's okay. Paul goes on, verse 20. Where is the wise person? Sorry, verse 19. It is written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate because this does actually completely undo all of humanity. It does. It unpicks the stitching. And all of a sudden, God can justify his wrath and his judgment. Jesus, the fancy word, is our propitiation, that the wrath and the judgment of God do not come down on us, but Jesus takes it upon himself. And God's justice is served so that God can love unconditionally without validating and endorsing sin. It is the power of God. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in wisdom, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those believe. Paul is making a point here that we need to let sink in from verse 21 as well, that the world in all of its wisdom could not lay hold of God. I had the, the opportunity recently um, to go and sit with, with a man who I have a lot of respect for. I know I've shared some of this story with, with a number of people. And this man is brilliant. And this man believes that there is a God, but he believes that we cannot actually know God. Even, even God as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, we don't really know what God is like. Maybe God was just pretending. Maybe God was just speaking using the language of Jesus because he needed to make a particular point at a particular time. Ultimately, he ends up holding a position that God is not knowable. 
Paul here is saying, you know what? In worldly wisdom, you can't lay hold of God. You cannot take all of your brain power and distill out what God is and who God is and how God is. But Paul says, see, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. We're going to come back to this point in a minute. But God getting hold of you and you getting hold of God is not based on your intellect. Praise God. It's not based on my intellect. It's not based on our vocabulary. It's not based on our education. It's not based on the country you were born in or grew up in or have traveled to. It's not based on your family. It's not based on your socioeconomic demographic. God getting hold of you is not based on your wisdom. Good stuff. Paul changes tack two times in this passage. This is the first one. And I've put up here in red Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks, because Paul is making a comparison here. Remember, he's just come off talking to this group of people saying, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. And we know that Paul is writing in response to issues going on in the church. So here, Paul is writing about these two different groups who are speaking into the Corinthian church. Jewish believers and Gentile believers and the issues that both of them have. Have a look here. Verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. He's writing to the first century Christian church where people come out of synagogues as Jewish believers and become followers of Christ as their Messiah. And then they need to wrestle with what practices do we hold? What practices do we part with? And then we have Greek um, Jew, uh, Greek Gentile believers who come out of the temple of Apollos in particular and bring all of their practices into the church and go, well, you know, can't we keep all the philosophical stuff? Can't we keep all the hidden knowledge? Can't we even keep some of, you know, some of the maybe the more pagan practices or animistic practices? Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, which is, yeah, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. If you're big into Greek philosophy, Jesus looks like a bad idea. We've just said that. Verse 24, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. These two different things that Jews and Greeks are looking for. They want signs, well, Christ is the power of God. They want wisdom, well, Christ is the wisdom of God. In other words, he's writing to these people saying, wherever you have come from, Jesus is enough for you. If you want signs or if you want wisdom, then when you lay hold of Christ properly, Christ is enough for you. And then Paul says here, verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Again, that's this other theme which flows through this passage. And then Paul changes tack for the third time. And he asks the people in the church to reflect on themselves. It's good for us to take these words to heart as well. Brothers and sisters, Adelphoi, think of what you were when you were called. Think of what you were when you were called. What were you when God called you? How old were you? How wise were you? How wealthy or powerful or influential were you when God called you? Paul writes to the Corinthians, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame 
the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. God starts with offcuts. And it's okay for us to go, you know what, what use am I to God if I feel like an offcut? Well, that's what he starts with, according to Paul. Things that are not, things that are weak, things that are foolish, things that are lowly, things that are despised. Sometimes it's good for us to, to eat some humble pie and go, you know what? If if I'm feeling like bragging about qualifications or influence or awards or education or family, none of those things are a reason for God to lay hold of you. None of those things actually qualify you for the grace of God. You can't qualify for the grace of God. Matter of fact, it says here that God is more interested in taking things which everyone else has thrown away and then going, here are the things I'm going to work with. And that shouldn't surprise us. We heard about that at the Ladies' Day earlier on this year when Julia Rouse came and spoke on the Sunday morning. God takes things that are chewed up and spat out and he turns them into extraordinary things. But the point that Paul here is making with this is is here in verse 29, this is what God is doing in order to shut down human pride. Have a read of verse 29. So that no one may boast before him. God is God. God is God. Paul is writing to a group of Christians that have been bragging to one another. He's writing to a group of Christians that have been playing spiritual one-upmanship. Oh, well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. Well, I follow Peter. Well, I follow Christ. Well, who baptized you? Oh, Paul baptized me. That's why Paul writes, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you, except for a couple. I don't even remember who it was. He's talking to a group of Christians who have pride issues. And this point is made so that no one may boast before him. Then in verse 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. And then Paul lists these three amazing summary terms of everything that God has given us. He has given us his righteousness and he has given us his holiness that we are set apart for him. And he's given us redemption. Paul summarizes here, therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. I think that it's worth mentioning sometimes I know it's happened in my own life and I see it play out in other people's lives from time to time, so let's talk about it, that we can end up going, you know what, I don't, I don't want to be someone that's full of pride, so I'm going to take these things that are listed up here, foolish and weak and lowly, and that's going to be how I describe myself all the time. That's how I'm going to talk about myself to other people. So someone goes, oh, you know, you know, Bob, Fred, whoever, you, you did a really good job of doing that thing today. Well, I'm just a foolish and weak and, and lowly despised thing, but God's good. And we can end up taking those statements and using them like an identity, like a business card that we give to people and go, oh, this is who I am. I don't think Paul intended for it to function that way. 
Because the rest of the time in the New Testament, when Paul writes to the church, he writes to the saints. Remember, Paul also says, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. He says that these people have righteousness and holiness and redemption. So it's one thing that we can get off track bragging about, you know, all these things that we think might make us spiritually better than someone else. But sometimes we can go, oh, well, I'm, I'm weaker than anyone else. I'm more foolish than anyone else. And it's almost like the opposite of bragging, but it's still bragging. For interest, I did this. I went through the same passage and I just highlighted how many times Paul mentions God or Christ. And you know what? Sometimes it's worthwhile us reflecting and remembering this is not about us. I think that's the point that Paul is trying to make. Inside this larger topic of don't worship your leaders, inside of that he's saying don't big note yourself, stop focusing on yourself. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. I'm going to read through this and let's emphasize and let the emphasis sink in of what Paul is saying here about God. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. You see, we are actually not the aim of this story. This is God's story and he invites us into it. He is the focus. He is the apex. He is the zenith. He is the target here. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. We're supposed to be talking about him more than we talk about ourselves. So what do we do with this? How do we take this passage of scripture and apply it into our life? First of all, I think we need to recognize that what we believe is going to look pretty foolish to the philosophers of this world and to be okay with that. Now, I love apologetics. Apologetics is where someone creates a defense of something for someone who's 
not familiar with it or someone who's attacking it. That's actually where the word apology comes from. I love apologetics, Christian apologetics, but you know what? There is a point at which all the fine-sounding arguments in the world are not going to change a person's heart. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts of sin and of righteousness. So if fine-sounding arguments are not going to transform the world around us, what is going to transform the world around us? Well, in John 13, Jesus says to his apostles, his disciples, by this will everyone know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. Paul writes to the church, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. We need to be very careful how we use our words. This is the temple of Apollos in Corinth. This is the world that Paul was writing to. And I think there are different stadiums and different buildings and different kind of monoliths to human achievement that we could put up here in our own age and in our own day. But if we are focusing on trying to reach these people using our own credibility, using our own qualifications or influence, talking on the basis of our own awards, our own education, our own family background, then we've missed the point. And the point is that Jesus is the central figure of this story. People actually don't need to come into contact with me or with you. They need to come into contact with Jesus. How do we do that? What does it look like? See, God knows what he is doing. And often people will say something like this. I'll go, you know what? I'll come to God when God turns up right here in front of me. I'll come to God when God gives me what I need. And it's tempting to try and argue with people. It's tempting to bring our fine-sounding arguments in those moments. But the reality is God is not going to turn up just to try and impress you and jump through your hoops. God is not interested in impressing us inside the boundaries of of human wisdom. When God moves and when God acts, we are impressed and we are amazed and we are astounded because that's actually who he is. When Jesus walks on water and calms the storm and raises the dead and heals the injured and the sick, he does that because that's who he is. He doesn't do tricks in order to get someone to change their heart or their mind. Someone needs to change their heart or their mind because Jesus is who he claims to be. God acts so that we cannot come to him on our own terms. And this is a hard thing for us to communicate into Aussie culture today, which is so self-centered. We live in an age where anything in Australia, anything that you want to eat, you can probably go to a shop and buy. Anything you want to wear, there are 24-hour Kmarts. There are 24-hour service stations. There are 24-hour Maccas and Hungry Jacks. And any hour of the night or day, you can go and get what you want. But God says you are not allowed to come to him on your terms. You come to him on his terms. How rude, how offensive for those who, who it has not clicked with yet. We are truthfully, completely outclassed by the wisdom and the power of God. But Paul's point here is still the same. I want to go back and just read it out one more time. Where are we? Paul quotes Isaiah the prophet in verse 19 and says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence 
of the intelligent, I will frustrate. When God breaks into someone's life, often their thinking comes undone and it's, it can be a time of extraordinary cognitive mental frustration because this is going on. Their intelligence and their wisdom is coming undone. And it's not because God has presented them with a, a fine-sounding argument. It's because he's presented them with his love. He has presented them with his holiness. And those are things which we can carry as his people. Where someone in your workplace, someone in your family, someone in your life can come and go, you know, here's, here's all these complex issues that I have with God, and they can be angry with you. They can be antagonistic towards you. They can attack you. They can want to verbally or physically shred you. And when you respond with the same love that Christ responded with, when you respond and go, look, you're allowed to hate me, but I'm going to pray for you that God will bless you. You know, you're allowed to be upset. You're allowed to be angry with me. But you know what? If you ever need a meal, my table is your table. You have you have a warm and safe bed in my house. You can't stop me from loving you because my God loves me. And the wisdom and the intelligence, that's the way right through it. That's the tool God uses to undo our cognitive barriers is love. One more thought and then we're going to pray. I want us to remember in this that knowing God is not based on our education or our vocabulary or the family that we grew up in. It happens again and again and again. And for those of us who've been walking with God for a long time, this is a space that we can end up in again where we feel like rubbish and we feel like God's not interested in us or we feel like God's not going to talk to us or that we're not smart enough or that we're not perfect enough or that we haven't got the right family or the right friends or the right qualifications, and that is simply not the case. That is simply not true. God meeting with you is not based on your education or your vocab, or your family, or your workplace. God does not play with human goalposts. And he knows what he's doing. So who are you going to tell this week? Where is there going to be a conversation in your world this week where this great love of God, this boundary-breaking love of God, is able to play out? this hope that we have, where is that going to find traction in your world this week? I encourage you to think about that. If there's someone in your life who seems very far from God, be praying for that person. Write their name on your hand if you have to. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we don't want to brag about ourselves. We want to brag about you. We don't want to be people who are wrapped up in trying to out-spiritualize one another or in trying to outrank one another. Lord God, we don't want to be in this way like the Corinthian church. We want to hear the words that Paul wrote to them and we want to avoid this. 
But Lord, we also want to avoid getting so wound up in our own imperfection that we make that a barrier. Lord, where our eyes have been too proud, when we look at ourselves or where our eyes have been too negative, Lord God, would you help us to stop focusing on ourselves? Would you help us to focus on you, to see all of the stress and all the crisis and all the pressure and all the things going wrong in our own life and in our community and in our world and to see that you are our hope, that you know what you are doing, that you have a wisdom so far beyond ours and that you take such foolish or simplistic things as they appear to us and you reveal your majesty and your beauty and your wisdom. Lord Jesus, we are astounded at your power that you would so obey the Father, that you would go even to death on a cross, willingly and humbly, that you yourself were subjected to shame and to torment, that you entered into death. And Lord God, in doing so, you set us free. Lord God, we are in awe of you. We are in awe of your goodness to us. That is not a big enough word. Lord God, would you help us to take our eyes off ourselves and place our eyes again on you? We ask all this in the precious name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.